Shalom, shalom, shalom. Hey, what's going on? My name is Michael Sano. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the 12 Cities in Israel podcast. I am here with international correspondent for I-24, Bianca Zanini. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much. What a pleasure to be here. Oh, thank you. This, this is so cool because I live in the States mm-hmm. and you come on TV in the States and here I am in Israel and I am... I'm sitting here with you. This is thank you so much for coming on the show. Of course, awesome. That sounds interesting. Uh, how how was work today? How was work today? Interesting. I mean, we've been covering the coronavirus. Lately. Oh wow! And you know, as the international correspondent, I essentially try to cover the world, <laughs> which is <laughs> intense, to- you know. But uh, there's always a lot to read up on and and um, to do my research. But of course, after a while, you sort of uh, get to know your areas anyway, like U.S. politics, Russian politics, and then something new comes along like the coronavirus. So now that's <laughs> very much what I've been covering. Lately. Holy cow, put that yeah. in your pocket. That is huge. Um, all right, so before we get into what you do and all of that, let's mm-hmm. go back a little bit. Um, where are you from? So I was born in Denmark, in Copenhagen. Um, wow. My family is from Brazil. My mom and dad uh, were Brazilian. My uh, mom's family from Italy, actually. Uh, and they were political refugees during the dictatorship in Brazil. Holy and so they cow. ended up in Denmark. And years later, years later, they were artists, so they decided to stay there. Years later, I was born. And I grew up in a very Brazilian home, um, meaning we spoke Portuguese and had Brazilian food. And then, you know, in a Danish school. And so um, I grew up bilingual and always sort of wanting to know the world and travel. And I never really felt, you know, I always say that it's um, on the good days, which Mm -hmm. there are most of, luckily. But on the good (laughs) days, I feel like I have many homes. And on the bad days, the ones that are a little tough or where you feel a little lonely, I feel like I don't really have a home because there's nowhere that's really where I really belong you know I'm a little bit Brazilian I'm a little bit Danish I'm a little bit uh Israeli now because I've been here three years you know so uh, and it's a strength usually Uh, most of the time it's it's something that gives me wings right and because I want to explore so uh yeah so all right it's funny because I had asked you before um are you Jewish and you had said no Mm. um but your story hilarious as it seems is the story of the Jewish experience and not having a home Mm. and and that's just that's fabulous you can actually relate to a lot of the stories absolutely and you know when I when we grew up we knew that my dad's actually we don't know for sure but there's always been stories that my dad's family way back the Mm -hmm. his last name uh, was Jewish that uh, we were Jewish way, way, way back um, in Portugal before uh, uh, we were forced to to switch. And so there's always been something about uh, feeling some sort of connection with uh, Judaism. And um, my mom used to have this dream uh, where, it sounds silly, but I always like the story. Uh, My mom used to have this dream where I would um, show up to her as a little girl and then as I grew older, I would be wearing this white dress and I would come to her with figs. And she always thought, you know, where, where is she coming from with these figs? And then when I decided to come to Israel, she was like, oh, 
that makes sense. Wow. Why are you coming home? So that's, that's a cute story. I don't know. No, it's silly, but I like it's it. It's not silly at all. It's, it's, it's heartwarming. That is such a great... It, well, it goes in well with you feel like you don't have a home, but then you can take that story and wrap it around you like a blanket. Yes, I just said that. Um, <laughs> I have a home. I have many homes. I don't really have a home. You know, it's all... Yeah, it's all yeah. relative. Mm-hmm. Um, now... You then wound up in Israel. You mm-hmm. wound up getting a job in Israel. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that you have worked a number of other places. So can before we get into how you got here, okay. can you give us a little bit of history and how you got into journalism? Right. So I think growing up in a family where um, my parents were political refugees, mm-hmm. I think that um, a social awareness and a desire to participate in society and make the world better and pass on information. I mean, they were, uh, during the military di- dictatorship, there was a censorship. And I think my parents were always um, very focused on information and passing on information mm-hmm. and knowledge. And they put me in a Catholic school in Denmark, but mostly it was because there were so many other kids of color Mm-hmm. In, in that Catholic school, and De- Denmark is very white, and I'm <laughs> not that blonde. <laughs> so, uh, but also they wanted me to sort of understand, because Catholicism is such a big thing in Brazil, mm-hmm. so they wanted me to understand uh, and to know that part of history. But then they would always sort of push back and question me on it, because they were not Catholics at all. Mm-hmm. They were, you know, spiritual in their own way, very open, but not with the catholic church so it was always we had discussions we had um they taught me to question things since i was very little and and i i wanted to make the world better and it sounds silly but that's what i wanted when i was 12 and 13 and 15 and 20 and 24 and so i became a journalist in denmark and then i went to the un where i got this uh, internship for um, about six months and it was in the public relations department. Wow. But it was also in the, and this is randomly, um, well, they choose, but I I applied various places Mm -hmm. and the place I got into was called um, Human Rights uh, Palestine Section, Human Rights and Palestine Section and Decolonization. Um, And so I ended up working with uh, a lot of Israel-Palestine issues. Okay. And, and I had always, it had always interested me. Mm-hmm. And uh, I remember thinking that uh, people needed to know more and that I didn't agree, you know, that it was so interesting to see colleagues working in the same department with completely different points of view. And I learned so much, you know, mm-hmm. when you grow up in a country like Denmark, at least I, it was pretty homogenous. Oh, people wow. usually okay. agreed with me, you know, and now suddenly <laughs> I'm like out in the world and I'm like, wow, and, and people have different opinions and I'm like in my early 20s and it really opened my eyes and it was also a bit disillusioning to work at the UN, to be honest. It, it was both, but you know, um, and then I decided, I was like, okay, well, I was working at a newspaper in Denmark. I reached that, but people who read this newspaper are like 40 plus already well-educated. I'm not going to change their lives. And then I went to the UN and I was like, well, I'll try the other side. And I also felt like I wasn't like reaching people. And then I was like, how do I do that? That's with audiovisual media. So I decided to do documentary. 
Um, and so I did that. You are awesome. That was a great segue because that's one of the questions. <laughs> oh, Go, please. Okay. Well, so I did that. And then I worked on a bunch of different things in New York as a freelancer. I lived mm-hmm. there for five years. And um, then it was time for something else. And okay. a new chapter in my life happened. Um, now, if you can just go back a little bit to your documentary filmmaking. Mm-hmm. Um, what what subjects did you tackle? What I mean, I, I've seen some of it, but I want it huh. from your your uh, perspective. I think my first little documentary, my first short, was um, about this woman who had killed her father. She had. Uh, I don't know what words I'm allowed to say, but she you, had cut off his this penis is open. and yeah, uh, don't worry burned about it. it. And she'd been put in prison for it. And I remember reading this. It was just an article I read somewhere. And I was like, wait, but but why did she kill him? Why is, like, why is that not part of the story? And so I started uh, reading into it more and I discovered that she was uh, abused by him for years and years and years. And she was um, protecting her nieces when wow. she killed him. And I was like, hmm. And still we put her in prison for five to 15 years. And where was this? In New York. Okay. And I was like, this is, this is interesting. It says something about the justice system and how we understand what it, you know? And so I started writing with her and I ended up doing a, a short documentary with her. And, and it was interesting because I would show it to like my peers, like mm-hmm. these uh, academics in New York, middle class and up, whatever. And everyone was like, well, you know, you, you can't go against you know, we have laws and we have a system and you can't be a vigilante, right? And then on the other hand, I would show it to, you know, her neighborhoods and and people there would be like, yeah, well, the system doesn't work. It's failed us again and again. And now it failed us again by, you know, putting her in prison for essentially a delayed self-defense or defending Mm -hmm. her her nieces. I, I just, I found that very interesting, this idea that we need to punish and what we feel is right and wrong and what deserves punishment. And that's always uh, fascinated me. And I started looking into children serving life without parole in the U.S. as well. So, And then, because I got into this whole prison thing, I found uh, another kind of story, which was a beauty pageant in a prison in Brazil, you know, where my family is Yes. And I pitched it to Vice, and I ended up working with Vice on it. It was just, um, yeah... That was sort wow. of the direction. That was the way. That yeah. that I mean, that body of work is tremendous. That's well, n- uh, no, I should do more. No, I miss yeah, absolutely. But it takes so long, though. Um, I like the rush of the news, also. Of course, don't yeah. don't we all? Um, now, in engaging while you were engaging in these stories and you were documenting these stories, you of course wanted to take a uh, a specific distance. So that you can, so that you can, you know, record mm. the events, what's going on, the story itself. How hard is it to not cross over that line and be a part of? I mean, you, you instinctively we all want to comfort, um, but how do you how do you restrain yourself? I'm not sure. I always do, you know. Um, yeah. I I think part of what makes I think part of my strength is that I have a lot of empathy and Mm -hmm. I actually care. And uh, that means, of course, that I have an opinion and I have a point of view. 
So I don't think the goal is to necessarily be objective when mm -hmm. you tell a story. I think the goal is to try to be fair and to be transparent with what you're doing. And that's what I try to do. I don't think that um, I can be necessarily you know of course as a journalist i go in and i make analysis mm -hmm. every single day about international politics which means of course this analysis comes with uh, a pair of glasses right that yeah. i'm reading the situation with and i but i don't try to be necessarily objective and just stick to the facts because that is also simplifying it right you don't really get to the meat of things if you just always keep a distance if I want to explain something, if I want to uh, try to understand what's behind, what are the potential consequences, there there are a pair of glasses and there is um, an element of caring. Okay. And the way I then try to balance that out is to make sure that I'm fair, you know, try, that I try to be as fair as possible and as transparent as possible. Now, this idea, this concept that you're discussing right now about application of... You know, a little bit of your own objective to this story. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not saying you're in any way, shape, or form tainting this story. Please don't think that. Mm. Um, is that something that developed over time, or is that something that comes as a part of you? Or is that something that, uh, yeah, you learned? I think it's a mix. Um, look, I think that at the end of the day, it's your ability to connect with a human being. Mm -hmm is uh, within that lies your ability to um, be able to understand them and tell their story in the best way, okay. right? So I interviewed a drug dealer, one of the drug lords in Brazil in Rio de Janeiro, and, Whoa. you know, we connected, you know? I, 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 we, <laughs> it's like, on film that you just said that you connected. Yeah. No, it, I'm just joking. It's on film. <laughs> he, he at, at the end of the interview, he was asking me, like, if I wanted to, you know, take some weed home, if I wanted to hold his gun. And, you know, he he came into the interview saying, I'll talk to you for five minutes. Mm -hmm. He stayed more than an hour. And he talked about how difficult it is for him to see his kids. You know, he wants to give them a better life, but he knows that they're going to grow up to be like their dad. And he's, I asked him how old he was first first time he killed someone, how he feels, how he sleeps at night, you know, and mm -hmm. this... This has less to do with um, whether or not I'm ob objective, but it has to do with connecting to him and having, you know, trying to get to the human and you get a much better story. You get the truth, right? Absolutely. Well, now so, that you've said that, um, it's interesting because how do you take steps inside the tiger's den and not get swatted? So you're dealing with someone who is, as an individual, very incredibly dangerous that's right how do you how do you keep yourself safe and maybe you don't um and how do you how do you deal with that um i think you have to i guess trust your in instincts mm -hmm. you have to make sure that you know there were people who knew where like they didn't know exactly where i was going mm -hmm. But I had also uh, developed this relationship with the fixer, the, the guy who was the contact to the mm -hmm. guy <laughs> uh, for years. Okay. So I trusted him. He trusted me. There was no, you know, I was never really afraid of the guy that, that had said he would do an interview with mm -hmm. me. I was afraid of what could happen because we we're in a very, we were in a very volatile uh, place. I mean, we were in one of the favelas 
I was with one of the drug lords in Rio de Janeiro. That meant that there could be uh, a dr- uh, interaction with other drug gangs. There could be police. There could be, you know, I could be caught in a wow. dangerous situation, but I wasn't afraid that he would do anything because... You were more we, concerned there, about the tertiary event. Yeah, we had in, we had entered a uh, contract. You know, he no, was there. You know, right? Yeah. Like, that's no, how it was. Get, that he makes was there sense. to tell his story. I was there, and to hear his story, why would he want to hurt? You know, you no, have to take um, chances, and but of course, stay careful. So, from... You go from that. You go from making, um, and this was one of the documentaries you made, or this yeah, was the Vice. One, yeah. 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 Um, now you go from there <clears throat> to some of the uh, journalist jobs that you have had. Uh, do you want to go through? You went through those. The you said New York, and then yeah, you came here, I said right? Politik and the Danish, the Danish newspaper. I worked a lot for Danish media, like mm-hmm. uh, freelance. Then I worked for Vice for a while in Denmark, and I did some stuff for them in Brazil. Um, I, I've worked for different different kinds of media, and I worked for a documentary company in New York as well. So I've uh, you know I worked a year at a newspaper in Denmark. I've done a little bit of wow. Of, of a bunch of stuff. But oh. the longest I've worked um, at one place has been I-24 News. Here and in how did that happen? So um, I needed, for personal reasons, a new chapter in my life. Okay. Um, I lost my mom and I didn't oh really gosh. know where to go. And I was seeing an Israeli guy at the time and... My dad wanted to go back to our family in Brazil, so he was there for a while, and I was a little bit sort of homeless. You know, I didn't really know where to go. But I had all these jobs lined up because I was always doing, like I said, mm-hmm. I was freelancing. So I was so I was supposed to work for um, Vice and for a Danish newspaper covering the Olympics in Brazil. Oh, wow. And that was happening, and it was, uh, it was really interesting and really great. And... I didn't want to to move to Israel without a job. I didn't want to move here just to be with it, with my boyfriend at the no, time. It totally just doesn't. It. Um, it, that's not who I am. I am. I've always been quite career oriented, but I knew that there was a channel here uh, because because I knew that uh, I wanted to f- to know about Israeli news and what mm-hmm. was happening here in society. And I found this channel that did it in English, right? Wow. I twenty four. So I reached out to them and I was like, listen. I'm going to be covering the Olympics in Brazil in August. If you want, if you want like a Skype or anything, let me know. I'll be there. And they were like, sure, maybe we'll we'll see. And they ended up using me like almost every single day. And when I came back, they offered me a job. And so I, you know, made arrangements and. And you immediately became the international correspondent. Yeah, I had, (laughs) I remember they had this uh, three hour long, um, oral test kind of with uh, the senior correspondent he was just essentially trying to gauge um my knowledge Mm -hmm. but also my the way my mind worked right how i would if even if there was something i didn't know he would ask questions and sort of guide me and see if i could make the connections to get there and he was like yeah you're ready and i was like no i'm not <laughs> and i felt like the little birds that you know they're pushed out by the nest from their <laughs> like by their uh, from the nest by their moms and you know they fall a few times and the first couple of months i wasn't very good but they trusted me and i will always be grateful for that so wait a minute what do you mean you weren't very good look one thing is making um 
an analysis about what's going on in Brazilian society because mm -hmm. I know about Brazilian society. Okay. Another thing is to be, you know, thrown in studio to talk about um, something happening in North Korea or in South Africa or uh, the minutia of uh, U.S. Uh, politics. You know, all of these things that I really had to read up a lot and I was very nervous because I was like, who wants to listen to what I have to say until at one point I realized, well, I, I do have something to say. I do have the ability to, uh, I, I would say, to read up, to understand what's the important um, part of an issue, what's the most important part, and to uh, explain that in a, in a simple way, in a way that uh, viewers um can more easily understand what's happening. But I think you have something that you're, maybe you don't realize you have. Haha, mm -hmm. <laughs> this is going to be so nice for you. Um, <laughs> so I was doing an episode on the Knesset. What the heck mm -hmm. is the Knesset? Mm -hmm. And I had to do research and I did, of course, the Wikipedia perusal. And then I um, scoured through YouTube and came across your video explainer, yeah. yeah now it's some people call it charisma some people call it the ability to connect mm. you have that thank you no you absolutely have that because i was like okay all right and that happens and then this happens oh i totally got it i can explain <laughs> this to people and mm. i think i may have even mentioned you on the podcast so mm. um But from there, that's I was good. like, no, it was well, that's awesome. That's the point of it, right? You want yeah. people to understand things and like come out and not be bored, but be like, oh, yeah, that's not so bad. I can get it. Like, I understand what's happening and why it's important. Absolutely. So. Um, yeah, it was really great. And I've since watched a bunch of your stuff on mm -hmm. I-20. I, so I don't watch a lot of television. Television's on usually when I'm setting up for my podcast or oh, okay. when I'm doing laundry. That yeah. is pretty much it. Otherwise, I have about 8 million things to do. Mm -hmm. um, but I am watching I-24 and you <laughs> pop onto the screen all the time. Yeah. Now, you, did you speak Hebrew when you got here? Oh, uh, no, I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> I still don't, I'm learning. But I mean, I do speak Hebrew now, I would say. But I, not well enough to like... Um, conduct an interview with someone you know who's had a difficult story to tell who have had uh, someone mm -hmm. who has a difficult story to tell um in hebrew no i can do simple things but i am getting better you know i work in english though so oh, my, yeah. you know that's the thing and i i have like i speak five languages so i should be quicker <laughs> on my hebrew but um it's a difficult language to learn i'm learning it It's moving forward. I should make a bigger effort to come, like, to bring in Hebrew in my everyday because I get up. My news is in English. Um, mm -hmm. Maybe it's uh, some Portuguese. Maybe it's some Danish. Um, maybe it's even some Spanish, uh, depending on like what I'm looking through, what I'm reading up on. But I don't really, you know, use Hebrew actively in my work. Okay, I'm going to give you two huge huge ways that you can work mm. to make your hebrew better mm. um the first one is itunes 
all the pop music you've heard it blasting oh my god i listen to so much uh, israeli music <laughs> oh my god i love it all right perfect so you got that down mm-hmm. the other one is hebrish do you know what hebrish is i do not okay so i was at city college of new york mm-hmm. and i think i had told you before that part of my program was a modern hebrew mm-hmm. component so our professor Professor Greenstein, she would text people in what she called Hebrish. And that okay. is she's texting half in English and then uh, throwing in Hebrew, the in Hebrew letters. Ah, uh, okay. So if so you start, phonetics. yeah, start mm-hmm. slipping that in to um, aval instead of saying mm-hmm. but all the time. Um, and bakbuk. One of my favorite words, actually. I read that. I read that in another interview uh, that you had said. And what's hilarious about that is when I was at Ulpan, um, that was my absolute... I couldn't stop saying it. I don't know why. It's so funny. Um, There are other words. It's also because it's an onomatopoeia. onomatopoeia. Is that what it's called? Like... Right? Um, that is so awesome. Yeah. Um, I do that. And right now, um, I'm also doing this thing where I'm like, at the end of the day, I send a voice message in Hebrew to my boyfriend, my Israeli boyfriend, um, about what happened. Mm-hmm. I still, I'm too proud to speak in Hebrew with him for too long. <laughs> I, you know, I just kind of want to be on a even no, playing absolutely. field, you know? but this way is a good way. And he's always like, send me, you know. This, and it's a good way to actively be forced to use my Hebrew. So it's the abject fear, the abject fear of saying something wrong by Yvrit. Um, um, for me, it is. For And I don't even... Uh, so somebody told me that I guess there are a couple of different stages to speaking a foreign language. And okay. one of them is that third stage. When you've got it, you know. you kn- and And after the conversation, you go... Oh wait a minute! I should have just said yeah, and I yeah, and that's what it is. Apparently, it's some kind of it's an actual phenomenon. So, off of Hebrew, um, sorry. Um, I had just I had read that story and I had to throw bakbuk Bakbuk into the conversation. No, no, I'm and it, it is kind of a fear. I'm not sure exactly what it is. It's also um a lack of patience, and it's also a lack of of. Like want wanting to be vulnerable, you know. Sometimes you just want to express, be able to express yourself the best way possible. And I'm already speaking in English, which is not my mother tongue, and that's already how we're communicating. Adding a level of Hebrew to that, just another <laughs> language, it's just oh, and so another alphabet entirely. Yeah, it, uh, yeah. So Hebrew um, is difficult. You are. How long have you been in in the uh, in Israel? So, like, I've lived here mm-hmm. for three years, and uh, the year before that, I would come visit, because that was uh, the year that I lost my mom, and I mm-hmm. would come visit, and I would leave, and I would, you know, uh, and I was thinking about moving here. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, what <laughs> What was one of the most difficult um, things that you had to deal with while acclimating? To Israel, because uh, now and what's interesting about your response is that we have individuals who, you know, let's say you're some kid from 
uh, Crown Heights, Brooklyn, and you, mm-hmm. you, you're going to have some acclimation issues, but you're off yeah. the map, yeah. so to speak. Yeah. So, so two things. Mm-hmm. One um, is the fact that people always care whether or not I'm Jewish. Um, and I feel like I've been asked that so many times, you know, I'm talking to a lovely la- a lady on the bus in English. And then, you know, she suddenly goes like, wait, did you make Aliyah, which is Israeli, is mm-hmm. he like, it's, it's I Israeli am so glad for, you brought this up. Good Jewish. Um, are you Jewish? And I'm like, no, 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 no. And, you know, I live in Tel Aviv, so it's a bubble. And most of the time it's. It's okay. Mm-hmm. It's not a problem, but there is, there is um, a feeling of sort of knocking on the door and being like, "Hey, can I be part of this?" And uh, some people saying, "Of course, come in," but also society saying, "Like, mm, oh, we're not sure. Maybe." Do you feel that? Yeah, I do feel that. Yeah. Can you give me an example? Um, well, apart from little, little, small um, events, hap- mm-hmm. you know, like these. Um, moments where you feel it um i have uh, a lot of um, israeli friends Mm -hmm. and a lot of israeli friends with families and um i don't want to sound no judgy at all but like i i've been wanting for a long time you know to be able to come to you know i don't have family here right Mm -hmm. so i i've been like so you know (coughs) if if you have an extra table at Shabbat dinner, you know, and sometimes people are good at inviting. Um, I have this one friend that now made me like a honorary family member once a month. <laughs> it's very chamuda, uh, very cute. But uh, there, there is sort of, um, and then of course there's the fact that I'm a non-Jewish girl dating, non-Jewish woman dating a Jewish man, and um, how people can get quite angry about that and you know they're have they been essentially saying yes direct? Uh, essentially well <laughs> i don't want to get too much into it no, but no, I'm um, sorry. but essentially saying that I, i've been told that um i'm part of why i'm part of the reason why um jews are going to disappear because you know if a non-jewish guy uh, if a jewish guy marries me and i decide not to convert which by the way is open right now but then i will my our children will not be jewish his children will not be jewish and i'll be part of why israel the state of the jews won't exist you know it it, there's so much um like the that's really that's a lot of pressure that's a lot of pressure and and uh, that's a way that i don't feel connected and um you know, Israel is really a special country, and I really, really like it here. Mm-hmm. Like, I, in many ways, I feel very much at home. Okay. Um, especially, I think, because I live in Tel Aviv, uh, because it's so open. But there's something about the culture that connects to me a lot. But it's also a country that, um, where the people really need this feeling of belonging and being part of a group, mm-hmm. which means that when you're part of a group there are those that are not part of the group yeah it's just automatic it's not a criticism but and 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 i'm just i'm outside that group until i if i convert 
then maybe I'll be accepted entirely. Well, all right. So I need to tell you something real quick about one of the purposes of this, Mm -hmm. this podcast, this show, all of this, everything that I do is to show that everyone is to show the diversity that exists within Israel. And I may not hit all the points. And for that, I apologize. But what is important is that everyone has a seat at my table. Um, and you are welcome at my table. <laughs> and you. when you are with me, you are always at home. Thank you very much. Okay. And I, I do want to say that I wouldn't have stayed here three years if oh, I didn't no, also feel no. welcome. You know, that is most of the time I feel welcome. I just, there is also just something about being an outsider in a country, like an, an yeah. immigrant or that's just how it is. It's also not something specific to Israel. I just think that the Jewish element is like a little added no, I, uh, I see that, it. and I could see that, and on behalf of all Jews everywhere, I apologize. No, 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 there's, nothing, there's no need to apologize. <laughs> no, no, there, I had to throw that no, in. No, 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 there's um, no need to apologize. Good there for was, a laugh. It was not a criticism, it was just... Don't worry about it. Um, an observation. An observation or a sharing. You're asking me, and I'm just sharing. No, what's good about that is we, uh, part of the, I told you what the mission is, but it's also objective, it's very objective, and at times it's painfully objective, but we grow from that, and we mm-hmm. understand ourselves more when we see warts and all. Yeah. So um, thank you for that. That was so from the heart. I really yeah. appreciate that. Uh, I, I hope I uh, won't get in trouble. <laughs> no, you won't get in trouble. You'll be fine. Um, I want to finish up with talking about what you're doing now mm-hmm. as a foreign correspondent going around in the streets, um, if you could just, I mean, you did kind of outline what you did in the beginning, but I wonder if you, you got any stories. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, then I'll have to sort of dig because, listen, most of my work as a foreign correspondent mm-hmm. or an international correspondent is a lot of analysis and so a lot of interviews with experts. And mm-hmm. But then I have this other part where they really let me do more of the work that I'm that I have experience in which is sort of more social issue stories and human stories right wow. the human element uh, I think this this year last year 2019 my biggest story was I went to the border between Brazil and Venezuela during the worst time of the protests and the biggest time of the refugees and I spent there five days and did a short series for Friday 24 mm-hmm um, on on the refugees from Venezuela streaming into Brazil, and it was just such a difficult place and such a sad and dark place to see all these people were in a town where they had, you know, at home in Venezuela, most of them had houses, mm-hmm. but they couldn't get food. They used to have jobs, but then they didn't have jobs anymore. Like, they, at least here, they might be sleeping on the, like, there, uh, yeah. across the border in Brazil, they were sleeping on the streets or in apartments with like 20 other strangers, but they had food. You know, they could yeah. feed their kids. So it was a really, um, and this one was really right up my alley because it combines international politics, like what's happening. Mm-hmm. Um, we had uh, elements of Trump and uh, the two um leaders or the two faces who wanted who were fighting to be the leader of Venezuela Maduro and Guaido and then you had the 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 human stories the human element in it so that's really the kind of story that I 
I love to do, where I show people how everything that's up here, everything that's politics in the halls, you know, how it actually affects people um, on the ground. That's awesome. That's really great. And who would have thought that you could come to Israel in (laughs) English and, you know, report on stories in Venezuela and Brazil? Yeah, no, it was uh, absolutely amazing. And I also report a lot from here, you know, more and more. The Mm -hmm. more I know the culture, the more I understand Hebrew, the more I understand, you know, in a a culture, when you visit another place or a new place, Mm -hmm. you see a lot of the things that you're not part of, you know, the way that people can look at each other and understand things. You know, I would go to Brazil and I'll go into the favela because I know how to read danger. You know, I know how to read danger. I know how to read uh, a safe situation. Mm -hmm. I can get by. Here, um, I've never been in a place like that's uh, comparable to a favela, but it is a new place. And I had, and I wasn't really able to read, you know, social signs, social Mm -hmm. cues as much because it's cultural. And and now I am, and now I am, and I feel more and more at home here. And so for now, I'm going to stay. That's so wonderful. Yeah. Awesome. I like it very much. Um, Is there anything else that you would like to speak about or bring up? Um, This is your opportunity to say whatever you want. Well, I, I don't know. I think more and more people are trying now to figure out what home is because Mm -hmm. we have so many opportunities and so many possibilities and we travel and we find partners from other places and we make families with um, people from different cultures and we learn other languages and it's such a gift and I'm so glad that I have it and I want to find a way to combine um, this positive thing with the fact that it also comes with a sense of rootlessness you know when you fly and you travel you also lose a little bit of your roots and you make you plant new things you're always planting Mm -hmm. right flowers and trees whatever on your way um and i think that especially after losing my mom i think that has been moving here that has been something i've been sort of struggling to make sense of Mm -hmm. and there's more and more, th- more and more um, of this fertile, fertile earth. I think now that I'm seeing and that I'm starting to build little flowers again, so uh, that's really good. But it's just I just I want to explore this space more of what home means, you know, and what belonging means. And I think Israel is quite a unique place to do that. You know what? I just had the best idea. <laughs> you should. Wow. Have you ever thought about that as the subject of a uh, of a documentary? Um, and I know it would <laughs> it would require some personal introspection and and a little bit of a light shining on you. Yeah. And I don't know how much comfort you have with that, but I think it would be absolutely fascinating. I would have to find a way to make it to make other people connect with it, so it doesn't become like me looking at my own (laughs) belly, you know, and like exploring what is home for me. But uh, yeah, you know, but maybe there's some, I do feel like there's more and more people and more and more couples where I see that this is, you know, 
I, I have two very good friends right now that are in Boston. They're Israelis, they're in Boston, and they were supposed to be there for two years. They have a little girl. Now she's speaking more um, English, and they're like, well, maybe we're going to stay a few more years. Maybe we'll come back. And they're also having this, you know, uh, space where it's like we have two cultures. It's great. It's amazing. But where where is our daughter's home yeah. going to be? So, wow. So I mean, I I do think it's it's uh, subject relevant to uh, to look into. Right, like a lot perfect. of people can connect with it, but eh, we'll see if it <laughs> becomes a documentary. <laughs> awesome. And it's a good idea. Yes, very. It, 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 I would watch it. There you go. There you go. Um, Bianca Zanini, thank you so much for coming on my show. Thank you for having me. Of course, <laughs> anytime. And when we come back, I'll have you on again. Um. All right. That's it. Todo va. Itron ve yalabai yalabai Thank you.